My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. This podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. I pray that as you listen to them, they will be a blessing to you and strengthen you in your walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. Christ is in our midst. Let's pray. May the Lord be in my heart and on my lips, that I may fitly and worthily proclaim the Holy Gospel. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Have you ever heard of a vicious circle? You don't have to raise your hand. I'm just going to assume that you have. And if you haven't, I'm going to define it for you in just a second. The American Psychological Association defines it as a situation or behavioral pattern in which an individual's or group's problems become increasingly difficult because of a tendency to address or ignore them repetitively through unhealthy defensive reactions that in fact compound them. I'll give you an example of what this means. A friend of mine worked in New York City for a church plant that was attempting to reach out to the artistic community. Unfortunately, the person who was leading the church plant had patterns in his own life of of financial mismanagement and narcissistic behavior. And so when these were raised in meetings, he would ignore them, shout them down, uh, and make people feel increasingly uh, incompetent as if the problem was theirs. And this would happen over and over and over and over again with the problem becoming compounded over and over until the whole thing crashed and burned and had to close down. That's a vicious circle. And I think that we see something like that here in today's reading in that God's people remained oblivious to their own patterns of their sinfulness, even in the face of divine speech from the mouth of the prophets. And what we see, I think, in these readings is something I'm going to call, and is also the title of my sermon this morning, the prophetic pattern of divine speech to break that circle. So in the reading from Jeremiah, we see God commanding and him speaking. And what happens here is an event called a call narrative. A call narrative. So when you read the Bible and you read stories of Moses and Samuel and Jeremiah and Isaiah, you'll find out that it it sort of falls along a similar pattern. And you even see this in the New Testament, right? With St. Paul and the apostles. What happens is God shows up. There's an interaction with God. God then tasks somebody to do that, then gives them to do what he wants them to do and sends them out, right? So God appears to the person whom he has chosen to reveal himself. After he reveals himself, he gives them something to do, a mission to fulfill. And then, funnily enough, sometimes he'll either outright ignore, like in the case of kind of like Moses and Isaiah, or Jeremiah, excuse me, or he answers or even redirects questions as the person begins their ordained ministry. And here it's Jeremiah's turn. And and the word of the Lord came to him and spoke to him. 
And again, we have to resist the temptation to understand this as a disembodied voice speaking from heaven. Right? When we read the Old Testament in particular, we have this idea when it says the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah or the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel or the word of the Lord came to Samuel. We have this idea in our mind that it, some of us may actually, that, that it was a disembodied voice speaking from out of the clouds. And then the person would be like, where is this voice coming from? I don't see anybody here. It must be from God. But verse 9 in the reading from Jeremiah says, The Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. Right? So when we see this thing, the word of the Lord came to these people, this is a visible interaction with the divine, divine being. And the word of the Lord we see as our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And in the conversation, Jeremiah responds to God saying, I'm sending you out to say this. Jeremiah says, I can't speak. I'm too young. And God says, don't say you're too young. Say what I'm going to tell you to say. I'm going to send you to where it's needed. Don't be afraid. I will deliver you. God then touches Jeremiah's mouth and says, my words are in your mouth now. And here's the effect they will have. I'm going to set you above nations and kingdoms and you will, you will break them down and destroy and you will build and plant. And this sounds like a massive responsibility, right? If God said, I have put my words in your mouth and as a result of you speaking what I'm going to tell you to speak, things are going to fall and be destroyed but things are also going to be built and planted a lot of us would probably take that in a very, very sinful direction, right? But here's the spoiler. God actually has done that. He has put his words in your mouth. And he's tasked you, like Jeremiah, with delivering those words. We'll talk more about that a little bit later. But the building and the destroying all revolve around speaking what God has commanded him to say and to whom he needs to be sent to. And he is sent specifically to the people of God who are in disorder to reorder them back to the path of godliness. And the children of Israel, like I talked about a vicious circle earlier in the introduction, their behavior, we see this like really clear, especially in the book of Judges. If you remember like five years ago when I taught through Judges, this is fantastic, I, might, I, I should say. Um, not to toot my own horn, but to toot it a little bit, right? We went through, we saw that cycle where they would, um, they would serve God and then they would sin and forget God and then they would be conquered by an enemy and be oppressed and then they'd cry out to God and then God would raise a deliverer and the deliverer would save them and then they'd be free again and then they'd go right back into sinning and it was sort of like that. And that continues to happen throughout their entire history, not just in the book of Judges. And the context that Jeremiah is speaking to is essentially saying the exile is coming, the Babylonians are coming. Repent and return to the Lord. He's sent to bring disorder, uh, to bring order to their disorder and bring them to the path of godliness. But as we see, as we read throughout the rest of the Old Testament, that they do not listen and they do not heed his words. Then in the reading from 1 Corinthians, we see St. Paul talking about the building up of the church. The building up of the church. And St. Paul's letter to the Corinthian churches is a master class in how those in authority should deal with 
church conflict. At times he's graceful, at times he's annoyed. On one hand, he will be concerned for the fragile faith of newer believers, and on the other hand, he will excoriate them for allowing unrepentant sinners to remain on their membership roles. They were a church in disorder. And St. Paul is bringing order and calm to an explosive, chaotic situation. When they're coming before the Lord's table, people are getting drunk. The common meal that they would share, they were eating all of the food and leaving none of it for the poor people who, who couldn't make it earlier. And what we heard read in chapter 14 specifically revolves around speech. Speech. Their speech was destroying and pulling down what God was trying to build in them and among them. And like Jeremiah, St. Paul is bringing correction here. So in the New Testament context, prophecy, we heard about, I wish we talked about prophecy in the reading. It's not some wizened old man with a really long beard, people coming to him and saying, tell me about my future. And him like closing his eyes, like I see in the future that you will, I don't know, you'll like, you're going to turn left on, on Church Avenue and you're going to get hit by a truck. Beware, you know, that's not what a prophet does. That's not what prophecy is. In the New Testament context, prophecy is tied in with preaching or explaining the mysteries of God, right? So who Jesus is, the incarnation, right? His death, his resurrection, his ascension, and everything that ties and flows into that and what we can learn from that. That's what prophecy is, is this divine proclamation of the mysteries of God as revealed to us in Jesus. And several people we see in the services, they're trying to do this. They're trying to speak. But some of them are doing so in languages that are foreign to many that are gathered. So we need to understand when we read this passage from 1 Corinthians that when St. Paul uses the word tongues, tongues is just the fanciful way the translators translated the word, I think it's glossa, which just means languages. Languages, different languages, right? So we have to remember Corinth, who, where he's writing, they're a cosmopolitan city. Think of like in New York or like in LA with foreigners from all over the world and, nation, and people from all different nationalities coming together and living together. Uh, various, various ethnicities from around the Roman Empire, right? And they all had a common language that they spoke throughout the Roman Empire. And that common language was Greek. Greek was the language that pretty much everybody spoke. And services and readings at the church in Corinth were most likely done in Greek. Because not everybody spoke Aramaic. And very few people actually spoke Hebrew. St. Paul actually could. St. Paul knew Hebrew, he knew Aramaic, he knew Greek. He could have known some other languages as well. But not everybody spoke Hebrew, Egyptian, Aramaic, but everybody spoke Greek. And they even spoke Greek in places where they spoke Aramaic, like in, like in Palestine. In fact, if you go back and you look, you'll see that even the readings a lot of times in many synagogues was from, in Greek, from the Greek Old Testament. Greek, Greek was for them what English is for the United States. It's the language of the day. And so what's happening here in this reading in 1 Corinthians is that they're prophesying, right, speaking in tongues, aka languages. They're 
trying to preach and teach and share in their own native tongues. Right? So they speak Greek, but they're trying to talk about Jesus in public gatherings in Egyptian. Or they're trying to speak about Jesus in public gatherings in Aramaic. Or maybe even Latin. St. Paul is trying to bring all of this in order. He's trying to bring all of this in order. People are not understanding, right? So if I'm up here and I speak Latin and I'm, and I'm saying everything in Latin and Phyllis doesn't understand Latin, Phyllis only understands Greek, how's what I'm saying in Latin supposed to edify Phyllis? It's not going to because she's not going to hear and understand what I'm trying to say, right? Or if I talk to Lydia in German, but Lydia doesn't understand German, she only understands French, how is what I'm saying going to help Lydia? It's not. And that's what's going on here. And St. Paul writes and he says, stop it. If you're speaking in the language that you know, you're being edified and built up in yourself because you know what you're saying, but nobody else does. So when you're in public... Like, do that at home. Pray in your own native language at home. But when you're in public, in church, pray, prophesy, preach, teach in languages that everybody knows. For their context is going to be Greek. Why? Because they're speaking the words of God. Divine speech. It's supposed to be intelligible. So people who are sinners can hear it and be convicted. So it can produce repentance in believers who are sinning themselves. So it draws outsiders from the faith into the faith. Everybody needs to be able to hear and receive what they need from God. Whether it is correction, edification, or comfort. Now let's look at speech in the Gospel of Luke. And what we see here is divine speech in the Gospel of Luke exposes the heart. And in this passage from the Gospel of St. Luke, Jesus has just read from the book of Isaiah, the portion that reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach the good news, the recovery of sight to the blind. And this is his way of saying, The kingdom of God, this messianic kingdom that you've all been waiting for, is here. It's now. It's fulfilled in me. And I'm telling you right now, sitting here right now, in front of you, reading this scroll of Isaiah, this is it. In saying this, by using the divine speech given through Isaiah, and as the embodiment of divine speech itself, because Jesus, as we said earlier, is the word of the Lord that we've seen referenced in the Old Testament, the hearts of the listeners that are gathered there, their hearts are exposed. And Jesus says as much that they know about his miracles, but they doubt him. And they use his parentage as a way of refusing what he has to say. And he continues by raising a few points. He talks about the widow of Zarephath. And he talks about and, and her friendship with Elijah. And he talks about Naaman the Syrian and the prophet Elisha. Right? So during the ministry of Elijah, there was a king named Ahab. He and his wife Jezebel were wicked. And they are essentially like the prototype for wicked kings and queens in the Old Testament. And they were so wicked and led people into the worship of false gods like Baal. That God is like, I've had it. No rain for three years. And Elijah comes to Ahab and says, no rain for three years. That's what God says. See you later. And there's no rain for three years. And then a famine breaks out because there's no crops. And so Elijah, 
he's kind of traveling around doing his thing, he makes his way to an area of Sidon, which is outside of Israel. And there is a woman there who's running out of food, and she has a small child. And, she sa- and he says to her, make me a cake so that I can have something to eat, because it's hospitality was kind of the rule back then. And she says, listen, I don't have enough to make a cake for you. I have enough to make one more meal for me and my son, and then after we eat that, there's nothing left. We're basically going to die. And Elijah says, make me a cake, and you'll have enough. And she does. She makes him a cake. He eats it. And as a result of her obedience to to the, the word of God, she never runs out of oil, and she never runs out of flour throughout the entire period. Note, she's not part of Israel. She is outside. But she's provided for while they go without. And then in the story of Naaman the Syrian, Naaman is a general, right? He's an enemy of Israel. An enemy. He has leprosy. And he goes to Israel because he hears there's a prophet there named Elisha who can pray for him and heal him. And Elisha doesn't even meet him. Elisha says, go wash in the Jordan River. Dirty, muddy old river down the road there. Wash seven times. And Naaman, he does. And he's healed. And Jesus' point here is, there were a lot of other lepers in Israel at the time of Naaman, but none of them got healed from leprosy. Only Naaman did. And Naaman wasn't even part of us. He's an outsider. In fact, he's an enemy of us. Jesus says this to them by mentioning that. And this makes them angry. It exposes their hearts. Because basically Jesus is saying, if you don't listen to me, God is going to give what has been sent to you to bless you, to edify you, to bring you out of darkness into light. And he's going to give it to other people who are actually going to receive it and obey it and listen to it, live by it and be blessed by it. And they don't like that because it exposes their unbelief and their sinfulness. And so in response, they take him to a cliff intending to kill him, but it's not yet his time. And he walks away. So, through all of these readings... This divine speech, right, given to us through God's word, it does the same thing to us. As we hear God's word, we are meant to receive that word and then share that word with others, right? That word that God put, I put my words into your mouth, are the words that are put into your mouth. God has put his word into your mouth. And like Jeremiah, you are sent out. To proclaim that word to those who dwell in darkness. And then what they do with that, whether they receive it or reject it, will then influence if they are built up or torn down. That word that we have been given from God is the same words that Jesus himself said. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And repentance is not just saying, I'm sorry. It's the reordering of our entire lives around Jesus. I, re- I saw something online the other day. I can't remember where. And it was kind of corny. But it, <laughs> it said, you know, what if um, you know, we reordered our lives around Christ the way that we have reordered our lives around COVID? Right? And that was like, okay. I, I, I get that. Right? We're willing and we need to in some senses, right? You know, everything that we need to stay safe and to be safe. 
But we've had to reorder the way we do things. And as a church, we've even had to reorder for a time to guarantee people's safety. We were meeting only virtually. Now we're doing both, giving people the opportunity to be here and watching online. Now, those of you watching online, we have quite a few today. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. But what if we reordered our lives around Christ the way we've reordered our lives around a virus? When we are confronted ourselves with the word of God, with divine speech, we need to heed it. And we need to respond to it in faith. So we will be built up. So we will be edified. So we will be corrected and comforted. So we will then, can then turn and be concerned with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And if we refuse it, like the hearers who sat across from Jesus, or the hearers that sat across from Jeremiah, we will condemn ourselves. Refusal to accept Christ, refusal to receive Christ, refusal to follow Christ and his word will lead us away from the heavenly city to the earthly city, away from the source of life to the dominion of sin and death. As St. Cyril of Alexandria put it, so they threw him out of their city, pronouncing by their action their own condemnation. So they were banished from the city above for not having received Christ. And we have to understand, brothers and sisters, that a lot of times, some of the blame that we throw on God, sometimes, I don't know, maybe we should take that finger and point it back at ourselves. Because we don't like the fact that sometimes the things that we do have negative consequences, particularly in, in regards to, to our faith. So all that to say, right? When we are confronted with the prophetic pattern of divine speech, let us not resist. Let us hear, let us obey, let us be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. So all of the vicious circles in our lives that we might be bound up when can be broken, but they will only be broken to the extent that we hear, receive, and obey. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you have a few minutes, I'd ask you to go to gofundme.com slash Zion's Stone Church Repair Fund. We have some significant repair work that we need to do on our bell tower, as well as some repair work due to a recent lightning strike. Anything you'd be able to help us out with, we would greatly appreciate it. If you'd like to get a hold of me or you have any questions about what you've heard, feel free to reach out at our Facebook page, Zion Stone UCC, or you can check us out on our website, zionstoneucc.com. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.